I remember in Hell Week, you're, you're already hypothermic. They strip you down to your bike shorts and you're laying on a metal dock and they're spraying you with ice cold water from a fire hose. You're shivering so violently that your body is bouncing off the pier and you can't even control your, your convulsions. And I just remember <laughs> some of us just bursting into ridiculous laughter uh, because we couldn't comprehend how horrible the situation was, so we just started laughing. Embracing the suck. It's something we've all had to do more of this year. This is why Brent Gleason, who's a Navy SEAL combat veteran with multiple tours to Iraq, Africa, and other places of war, is a perfect guest for this week's show. Brent served on SEAL Team 5. After his service, he became an accomplished entrepreneur, author, and acclaimed speaker. And he recently wrote this great book called Embrace the Suck. It comes out today everywhere books are sold. The Ford is written by David Goggins, the serial badass and ultra runner, and who happened to be Brent's SEAL team classmate. Brent is a San Diego local, so I was really lucky I got a chance to sit down with Brent and talk to him about everything from how to use this principle of embracing the suck in adventures, in marriage and relationships, in raising kids, and pretty much in dealing with life as we know it today during a pandemic. We also talk about things like getting over fear, cultivating empathy, dealing with all sorts of trauma, altruism, and where humor fits into all of this. Listen to the end. I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Vitamin Joy. Brent Gleason, welcome to Vitamin Joy. Hey, Shelby. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be on the show. I'm excited. So I really want to start with a story I read in your book, Embrace the Suck where you're literally in the most sucky moment. You're in training camp, and you're so hungry, you eat a tube of chapstick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so one of the training schools that special operators and fighter pilots must endure prior to uh, deploying downrange is called SEER school, which stands for Survival Evasion Resistance Escape. And essentially the school is teaching you how to evade the enemy in enemy territory, and then also how to exist in a POW camp situation. So sounds fun, right? <laughs> well, uh, one of the things you do is you're evading the enemy out in the wilderness. You do not eat that entire week. Uh, all they give you is water and chapstick <laughs> and sunscreen. And so uh, during those few days when you're not eating anything, you get so hungry and you spend a lot of time just daydreaming about the food that you're going to eat uh, when you get done with SEER school. <laughs> I didn't make it that far. I ended up uh, eating both sticks of my mixed berry chapstick that I had brought with me. So um, yeah, it was my first and only experience uh, eating chapstick, but uh, it's funny what you will put in your mouth after not eating for uh, several days on end. <laughs> so Good memories. That is such a wild story. Thank you for sharing. So I guess in, in some of the embracing this suck, I mean, well, why did you write this book, first of all? Like, why was it so important for you to teach people that it's important to embrace the suck? Uh, well, it, it's kind of been an interesting journey. When I transitioned out of the SEAL teams, uh, I went to graduate school and then dove headfirst into the world of entrepreneurship, which has a similar, if not higher, failure rate than, <laughs> than SEAL training does. And I had built and sold a couple companies, and what I found was not necessarily a passion for the, the industries those companies were in. They were more tech-focused. 
but was a passion for building a great organization, designing a culture that can deliver results, uh, people practices, engagement strategies, and developing leaders at every single level, uh, just like we have in the special operations community. Every single person is expected to lead. And you can't effectively lead a team or lead others, of course, until we learn to lead ourselves. Uh, personal discipline, personal accountability, the right mindset. Uh, leadership in large part is about an ongoing journey of transformation. So I was like, wow, you know, it'd be really cool to write something more in the, for lack of a better phrase, the self-help genre. I had never read a self-help book, didn't know much about it. I started doing the research. I was like, wow, this is, this is a pretty popular genre when it comes to books, content, podcasts, uh, et cetera. And I'm very tactical when it comes to, okay, now what? What is the plan? What are the tools? What's the mental model? More of the in-your-face field manual of how to transform your mind, transform your life to overcome adversity, expand your comfort zone with intention, and you know, give to causes greater than yourself, and really learn how to lean into pain and suffering. We tend to shy away from that in Western culture, whereas other cultures around the world see suffering and pain as a critical aspect to the meandering path towards enlightenment. So that's you know, what I set out to do, and obviously there were some interesting correlations between the purposeful suffering required to become a SEAL or special operator or serve in the military during times of war, Oh, but also things that we can relate to just in our personal lives, our relationships, family situations, business situations. And going into this, <laughs> I didn't realize 2020 would be such a crappy year. <laughs> so selfishly, the timing is pretty good. So we're all going to have to keep embracing the suck, I think, for some, some time to come. So part of embracing the suck is making a choice. And you've chosen a lot of choices that are really unpopular. Like when I decided to quit a really cushy job at Vans, everyone's like, you're absolutely crazy. Why would you give up this job? And I was like, there was a lot of reasons. Um, they didn't make sense on paper. It sounds like, you know, after college, you had, you had a real job and then you left that job to become a Navy SEAL, <laughs> which on paper didn't really make a lot of sense. And then I guess what's your approach to making decisions that people don't necessarily are gonna, not necessarily going to agree with you on? Well, I think that a lot of times we don't take enough calculated risk. This life is very short. And a lot of what the focus of the book is on is about managing that list of regrets you have when this short life comes to an end. What do you absolutely not want to regret when it comes to career, goals, giving back, family, relationships, love, faith, all those things that we you know, just kind of ignore and we float through life and uh, you know, we have a job that's not necessarily a career or a passion, but it's a job or we stay in unfulfilling relationships for too long, which we should have taken some risk and and do things that make us uncomfortable that will ultimately lead to you know more fulfilling experiences so when i made that ultimate decision to leave what was a relatively lucrative job in finance i made that decision knowing that like you said, like you said i hadn't heard that term before but on paper this is a terrible idea <laughs> knowing that failure was was high you know it's upwards of 85% plus failure rate and those are of the capable candidates that are even selected to begin so one of the things that I preach and that I learned by going through this process was that preparation far outweighs planning uh, because there are so many unforeseen obstacles uh, just in life in general that will be put in situations that we've never been in before. So focusing on what is in your immediate control, ignoring the rest, and relentlessly preparing for whatever that goal is you're trying to achieve. Uh, and the rest will will fall into place. Uh, I trained for well over a year and a half. My buddy and I moved up to Crested Butte, Colorado to train at high altitude for six months, 
10 to 12 hours a day. So I wanted to leave certain things like body preparation, mindset preparation, uh, and fitness. I didn't want to leave that to cause because that was within my control. So that was uh, the beginning of, of that journey. And by the grace of God, uh, 23 of us out of the 250 that began graduated and 9-11 had just kicked off. So it was off to war. <laughs> yeah, you had really wild timing because I have friends who were Navy SEALs before September 11th, and it was just a different thing. Yeah, I thought I was going to be traveling the world and getting tattoos and hanging out in the Philippines and, you know, <laughs> surfing in um, crazy places. And uh, no, I spent uh, every deployment in uh, horrible places. <laughs> there, there was this quote that you, well, you quoted Tyson, and I think it was, it was something like, you're ready until you get punched in the face, or maybe you could say it. Yeah, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Meaning you can have a plan, you know, you can be as prepared as possible, but, you know, Murphy's Law, the inevitable obstacles will come. So you better have some contingencies and you better be well prepared to adapt despite whatever those obstacles in life, business, career, uh, you know, whatever those might be. I'm curious, like what, what people's contingency plan would have been for this year, 2020? <laughs> this was a bit unprecedented, I think. So we, we talk with a lot of our clients, you know, a lot of them being very large organizations, you know, who would have thought to have a contingency plan for a global pandemic? You know, these types of things come around every 100 years plus. But this has been interesting to see, uh, you know, when you look at the silver lining. And again, a lot of what the book is about is like finding the opportunity amidst the chaos. And to watch organizations go through the rapid digital transformation, for example, that normally would take companies years to implement if they even got the buy-in to do it. And I've seen some of our clients do it in weeks. Uh, we, we did it in a matter of weeks uh, while simultaneously applying for PPP loans and <laughs> recapitalizing the business and begging our clients to, to stay with us. And they have, and they did, and we did no layoffs. And, uh, but it's more so about the, the clients we work with. Uh, it's been really interesting to see the ones that are innovative, the ones that are creative, the ones that are keeping their employees engaged despite being in a virtual environment are going to be the ones that will gain market share and come out of this stronger on the other side. Whatever that other side looks like, there's obviously permanency that's going to be in place here. I'm really sick of people saying, well, when this is over or, you know, when we go back to blah, blah, blah. And there is no going back. This is the new normal. And there will be a lot of things that will remain and a lot of good things. Uh, and I think this has given individuals and organizations a really, really good opportunity to be introspective and to reassess <laughs> a lot of things when it comes to values, life, relationship. Can we dig a little bit into that? You talk a lot about values. Yeah. In your book. And, and I thought it was really interesting. You know, I think values, having certain values make making those decisions that are really hard, like quitting your job, even though it makes no sense on paper, a lot easier. And there was something that really stuck out in your book. And it was like, you know, you could choose this path that's predictable and comfortable, but then you're going to have like depression and boredom and all these <laughs> other things. Like you might have a really good paycheck, but you might have all these other things. Yeah. So how do you figure out what your values are and then how do you use those to make better decisions? Well, it, uh, it's going to be a different journey for everybody. A lot of us don't even take the time to really think about what our core values are. I mean, you think about a, a brand or you know, a company, an organization, a sports team, most of them these days understand the importance of having a specific set of core values or a culture manifesto, something people can emotionally connect to, uh, something they make decisions based on. You know, the SEAL ethos, for example, wasn't designed until 2005. We'd been moving at the speed of war for four years, and we never thought about, well, what are our core values? How do we define our culture? And how do we articulate 
who we are, who we want to bring into this community, and how we use those values to do our job successfully. So if high-performing organizations and teams do that, why wouldn't we do that for ourselves or for our families? You know, I think families should have a sort of a culture manifesto or a set of values that, you know, parents and children can, can talk about, can connect to, can use, you know, when there's a coaching moment, <laughs> when things aren't going so well, or to use when celebrating wins. But bringing it back to the values, well, that was great. I love the way you did that, and, and you worked really hard, and it kind of goes back to our family value of blah, 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 blah. Wait, do you have one at your family? I mean, you have a big family. Three, three kids, <laughs> yeah. one on the way? Yeah, we got three, and we decided 2020 wasn't crazy enough, so let's have another human. <laughs> did you get a Peloton, too? Like, that's the, that's the thing. You had a puppy, a Peloton, and a baby. <laughs> Yeah, I fought the Peloton for some reason for a bit, but uh, it's it's been it's been a game changer. Um, but no, I mean, you know, designing your core values takes reflection uh, and it takes uh, ideation. And values need to be authentic; they need to be real. They can be sloppy, they can be funny. It doesn't have to be a word; it can be a phrase. But like for for me and for my family, giving back is one of you know a very very serious core value. I, I'm on the executive board of the SEAL Family Foundation. Obviously, military service is a form of giving back. I mentor guys into the SEAL program. My wife and I are we're an ambassador family for March of Dimes. It's something that's important to us. And I don't mean in the sense that social interactivity and status. It's, no, we really actually care. <laughs> and obviously, I talk about in the book, too, where, you know, oftentimes we make a lot of decisions outside of what our values are. Or we've never thought about what those values should be. Or we think we have a certain set of values and they just suck. They're, they're shit. <laughs> Therefore, we're not making the right choices. So it, uh, it's important in the sense to to use a certain set of values to design the life that you want and limit your choices from things outside of those values. So one of your values you said was was you know giving back. That's important. What what else in your family is something that if, if you don't mind you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, giving back, uh, fearlessness is one. You know we want to teach our our children to be you know relentless in their pursuit of, of things they're passionate about, to take risk, calculated risk, not, not blind, dumb risk. <laughs> so let, let's talk about the difference between the, that real quick before you keep going. Cause I'm, I, you keep saying calculated risk and I'm, yeah. you know, my other podcast is, is wild ideas worth living and it's a lot of uncalculated risks. <laughs> I like uncalculated risk too, but uh, you know, but in the sense that if you, you have an idea or a goal that seems risky. It seems beyond your comfort zone. It seems somewhat unattainable. Something that people are telling you you shouldn't do. You have it so good right now. Why would you want to mess all that up? Um, but you feel a calling. You know, you feel like a fire burning inside you. Something you something that a voice is telling you, like, I need to do this. Uh, just like my transition to the SEAL teams or, you know, certain decisions I made in entrepreneurship or even marrying my wife. Uh, we got married three months after meeting. <laughs> but it's about weighing the odds, assessing you know, what is the objective? You know, what resources do I have at my disposal? What threats and blockages stand in the way of achieving that goal? What possible lessons learned do I have right now or I can collect from a mentor or someone who's been through something similar to develop a plan? Then maybe you're taking risk by definition, but you have a executable plan and you know the things you need to do and to execute to mitigate risk as much as possible. Again, going back to focusing on what's in your control and not dismissing or, or completely ignoring what is out of your control because you want to have situational awareness. But, you know, people who embrace the suck effectively maintain, you know, in the book I refer to being in your three-foot world, you know, maintaining focus on what you can execute on, what you're going to have the highest level of impact on. And research shows that people who do that and, and are effective in doing that 
are more fulfilled and they're more confident because they achieve more of the goals they set out to. I love that. So you have fearlessness, you have giving back. Is there any other values within your family? We've got a lot of parents who listen to this show. Uh, passion. Passion is another one that I think, you know, sometimes I can sound a little cliche, but finding things that you are passionate about doing. And we are always going to be more successful in any endeavor in life if we're doing something that aligns with our passions and aligns with our values. Kind of going back to your comment about, you know, you can have a job and you might have a, a, a fat paycheck, but if you're not really passionate about it, you're ultimately going to be unfulfilled and you're ultimately going to be spending time doing things that won't bring deep meaning to your life or, or things that you're going to want to talk about later to your grandkids. Oh, well, you know, I was, a, I was an investment banker for many years and I made so much money, but God, that was boring. You know, it's like, I mean, or maybe there's, you know, the old school method of like, I'm going to make a ton of money and retire at 50 or 40 or whatever it is, and then I'll go have fun. You know, I think we need to have a better balance uh, in life when it comes to wellness, uh, mental health, when it comes to how we generate revenue and make money. And then again, I think the pandemic and COVID-19 has uh, forced a lot of us to reassess how we spend time, how we spend our money and how we think about our, the meaning in our relationships and our families and how we interact with our spouse or our children. Uh, I was traveling nonstop before this hit. And... Lo and behold, I went from traveling every week to traveling no week. Traveled twice since March. So, um, but it's been, honestly, it's been great to be able to always be available. I hope you sense a slight bit of sarcasm in there because I am always available now. I mean, every, <laughs> every, every couple should, I mean, no couple should spend as much time as our family as we all are. No, no. We are. And I'm sure, yeah, I, I can know exactly what you're going through. So. I just tried to tell my, my partner today, I was like, why don't you go to like Palm Springs today? It'd be so fun. I can have the house to myself. <laughs> or I just said I'm surfing right now. It's all good. <laughs> I know. I always joke that Nicole, my wife, is like, was telling me, we got to get you off the road. You're traveling too much. And now she's like, when is your next trip? <laughs> so embracing the suck, it doesn't just have to apply to like being a Navy SEAL. You know, it applies to parenting, relationships. So talk to me a little bit about how embracing this suck like applies to those two things, relationships and parenting. Yeah, it, it uh, I mean, obviously there's, you know, relationships are a perfect example because, you know, they're messy, they're imperfect because they are made up of humans and humans are flawed and fallible. And, uh, you know, we make mistakes, we lack empathy sometimes, we uh, lose our temper uh, or we just do stupid shit. <laughs> and, uh, and it goes back to one of our other values and one of my personal values and one I learned from the special operations community and now in business is accountability and taking ownership. And it's not always easy to do in a relationship. Sometimes my wife's like, you need to start practicing what you preach because <laughs> I'm imperfect as well. You know, 2020 is a perfect example and our lives are turned upside down or, you know, people are getting divorced. Uh, people are in financial strain. People need to think about their kids' mental health, sitting on Zoom meetings all day long instead of being at school. Uh, we've got a high schooler who's, our little ones are actually in school and our high schoolers sits in Zoom meetings literally for like six straight hours uh, and has, he's a freshman. He has had zero high school experience thus far. And he jokes about it. He's like, I don't care. I don't have to go to school. But it's impacting these kids, and which impacts the parents, which impacts relationships. So finding ways to 
lean into the adversity a little bit and reassess the values that are important to us and communicate that in that relationship environment. Uh, I talk a lot in the book about, you know, when it comes to suffering, we are not meant to suffer in solitude uh, as humans. Uh, We are meant to suffer in relationship environment, whether it's a spouse or a significant other, a partner or a mentor or a coach. And and so that's, that's really important. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Brett and I talk about empathy, dealing with trauma, and how we can use humor to embrace the suck. We also get into the best thing you can do to transform the sucky moments proven by science to work right now. Hey everyone, I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening to this show. It brings me a ton of joy and I really hope it does for you too. I'm always open to feedback, suggestions. Just message me on Instagram at Shelby Stanger, or better yet, send me an email through my website, which is shelbystanger.com. Also for 2021, I've been asked by a bunch of you guys to launch more classes. So right now I've reformatted and re-recorded my podcast class. So it's on demand and you can take it anytime, anywhere. It's called Zero BS Podcasting because there's really no BS. We get right into action steps to help you launch, grow, and monetize your show. There's a full equipment list with everything you need to buy and a business plan template for you so you can get going and get growing. Just go to shelbystanger.com forward slash courses to sign up. And if you enter the code friend of Shelby, you'll get 50% off the full price for a limited time. Also in the upcoming weeks, I'll be offering a free class to help you take your wild goals and make them a reality for 2021. It's an exercise I do every year and it's been a game changer for me. So I want to offer it to all of you. So sign up for the email newsletter to take advantage of the free class. Just go to shelbystanger.com. That's S-H-E-L-B-Y-S-T-A-N-G-E-R.com. What I heard from you and what I read in the book is that, you know, there's going to be sucky times with relationships, with family, but having empathy and talking about it and communicating sort of makes that suck easier. I don't know. Am I getting it? Wait, no, you are getting it. I was joking, you know, with the group we were coaching today in the five tiers that, you know, the fifth tier is where you want to be with high levels of empathy and emotional intelligence. And I was joking that I fall into usually immediately into tier one and tier two. And sometimes, not to categorize this from a gender perspective, but men fall into the immediate tier two of problem solve. Got a problem solve right now. (laughs) We got a problem. I'm going to fix it. And then I was joking that the tier one is dismissive. You're just dismissive. You're like, you know what? Get over it. Get some real problems. Embrace the suck. (laughs) I was kind of joking that sometimes, and I'm working on this in my own personal transformation journey, is that I immediately go into tier two. And then if the episode goes on, past a certain period of time, I go into dismissiveness. I'm like, okay, okay, we've talked about this enough. Let's get over it. Move on. As opposed to evolving into being empathetic and understanding how you're feeling. I can imagine that, you know, this is making you feel very stressed or upset or sad. And instead of trying to immediately solve the problem, uh, you see that a lot in relationships, sometimes more so with with the male species. But uh, again, it's something to be aware of. That's where self-awareness is really critically important into that transformation journey and within relationships, of course. So we understand how our behavior impacts others. 
I'm just laughing because <laughs> my partner will go into dismissive if I complain about anything, like clothing or anything. He'll be like, get over it. Yeah, get some real problems. What are you talking about? Exactly. <laughs> I did that with my kids, too. You know, my last combat deployment was in Africa. You know what it's like over there? <laughs> They're like, yeah, Dad, you tell us every other day. <laughs> I can only imagine having a dad that was a SEAL. Like, that's way different than saying, I walked five miles in the snow. You're like, no, I did. I walked in Africa. Yeah, you have some good stories that they can't really. Well, interestingly on that, my wife is more of the, the tougher one on the kids. And it's kind of weird because it's counterintuitive to what you would think based on someone with my background. And maybe it's not to get too deep, but, you know, guilt or, you know, things that I've seen, things that I've done where I tend to err more on the side of levity and saying yes too much <laughs> or just saying, why does it really matter? Do we need to say no to everything? Let's just say yes. Yeah, no, my wife is a little bit more of the militant one in the house, interestingly enough. <laughs> that's, so, that's so interesting. Can we talk about where humor fits in? Because, you know, there's some ball busting in the Navy SEALs and you're in really traumatic, heavy situations. How can humor help us yeah. embrace the suck? And where does it help you in your life today? And, you know, as you may recall, actually, that, that journey, it starts, you know, with the arduous nature of that brutal training. But humor plays a huge role in the ability to overcome adversity. Um, and I don't just mean, you know, having a positive mental attitude. I mean, actual humor. <laughs> I remember in Hell Week, you know, during some of the just worst, worst times you could ever imagine, there's one evolution called, I mean, all the evolutions are terrible, but one called Steel Pier. It's, you know, you're, you're already hypothermic. They strip you down to your bike shorts and you're laying on a metal dock and they're spraying you with ice cold water from a fire hose for a long, long, long time. You're shivering so violently that your body is bouncing off the pier. And you can't even control your, your convulsions. And I just remember some of us just bursting into such like ridiculous laughter uh, because we couldn't <laughs> comprehend how horrible the situation was. So we just started laughing. And you saw that type of attitude carry on and the people that couldn't compartmentalize in a healthy way and couldn't bring levity to the horrific nature of the current existence they were in uh, typically didn't make it uh, because they let that break them. And that's the same thing with any type of adverse situations. You know, I wrote about some of them in the book. I mean, I had some of the, uh, you know, most amazing, inspirational and funny people I know have been through some of the most horrific experiences, like my, my friend and teammate Jason Redmond, uh, a great combat leader, shot multiple times in the face, neck, chest, and arm. Uh, survived, walked unaccompanied to the medevac helicopter. <laughs> and, and he was the one who got upset with people coming into his hospital room crying over his wounds and what had happened and all this stuff. And he was like, no, 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 no. This is a room for rapid recovery. It's a room of humor, of fun, of enlightenment, and I will recover. And he hung a sign on his door that you know caught the attention of the then President George W. Bush. He was invited to the White House. But He's still like that. He's the happiest, most motivated and motivational people I know. But he and he's and he's just he's just funny as hell. And you see a lot of that. I, I got a lot of that in, in the SEAL teams where when it's time to work, you're it's very serious. But I mean guys would even not to bring too much levity to this, but sometimes guys would even be making like jokes and movie quotes over the radio on real combat missions. <laughs> Which, after a couple of minutes of that, you know, commander would be like, shut the get off, get off the radio. What are you guys doing? <laughs> but that's probably healthy because it's like so yeah. stressful and traumatic. And you know, that's a part of the military that you know, I every year we teach surfing to wounded veterans and it's it's always the most powerful week of the year. I love that so the surf therapy philosophy. One of my buddies does it too and it's an amazing thing. It's so cool to watch. It's cool to teach 
encourage anybody to serve, but someone who's given their life to our countries, it's extra special. But, you know, the PTSD, it's something that not just soldiers have, but there's a lot of people right now who have it. There's people who are going to have it just from this year. Oh, yeah. You know, even, even restaurant owners. So there's big T trauma. There's little T trauma. You figured out a lot of ways to deal with trauma and depression and anxiety and mental health issues and, and things that you've dealt with. You've seen some gnarly things out there. Any advice to people? Because that's sucky. Like embracing these kinds of things is really hard. Yeah. Any advice on how do you deal with it? One of the most interesting philosophies and strategies that I've seen work really well, and this is not just my opinion, this is research-based, is, is altruism. And going back to that you know, value of giving back, uh, you know, all combat veterans or veterans who've been in combat situations have some level of post-traumatic stress. Uh, or kind of going back to what I, what I call like the layers of guilt and the guilt for the things you've seen, the things you've done, the, the people you couldn't save, leaving people on the battlefield and pursuing a different career, those types of things like that. And that all kind of plays into some of those, you know, the, the symptoms and impacts of, of post-traumatic stress. And like you said, you can have that from a car wreck or a, a bad relationship or a you know financial loss or losing a small business. And I totally agree. I think that a lot of people are going to you know, emotionally and psychologically feel the ripple effects of, you know, these past nine months and beyond for a long time. But um, interestingly enough, for example, uh, you know, I've seen you know, veterans with, you know, really significant post-traumatic stress deal with it head on by giving back to other veterans and mentoring other veterans with post-traumatic stress who aren't handling it as well as they are. And there's research out there that shows that altruism and volunteerism is a really, really healthy way to overcome our own psychological struggles and emotional struggles because we're not spending time making it about ourselves. We're not spending time dwelling on our current situation and the why me, why now, you know, causal thinking. And this is one of the things I talk about in the book. It's not about not feeling those normal human emotions when it comes to dealing with adversity. We all feel those. It's about how much time we spend in that environment, dwelling on those feelings and letting those feelings keep us there or suck us backwards. It's about finding a way to move quickly into action-oriented thinking and developing a new plan or finding a new way to heal yourself or heal others and then executing that plan and then continue to move forward. So that's one of the things that I've found to be a really, really healthy way for, for individuals to overcome you know, their own challenges is by making it less about themselves and making it about other people because there's always someone who has it worse than you. <laughs> but, but you're right. Being of service to others is so powerful and it not only gets you out of your head. I mean, it just, it's helpful all around and I love that message and I hope you keep saying that at every single talk you give to because it's, it's so impactful. There's one more though. There's one more that I think is critically important. And is, the other is wellness, wellness activities. You know, one of my friends here in Rancho Santa Fe, you know, army ranger officer, you know, special operations command, not only does he have post-traumatic stress, but like a lot, he has survivor's guilt. In his convoy, his Humvee hit a IED. Everybody died except for him. Everybody died except for him. And, you know, you have survivor's guilt in that type of team setting just because you're alive. And I can't tell you how many funerals I've been to. I uh, didn't realize that was going to be part of the experience going into it. But one of the things he's done is he got into ultra marathon running. And it's been really, really therapeutic. It's not good for his body, but it's, <laughs> but it's been really therapeutic uh, for his mind and his soul and his emotion because it, the chemical reactions that happen in our body when we engage in fitness activities, wellness activities, meditation, yoga, surfing, physically and emotionally, at least for a short period of time, to feel anxiety or stress after a hard workout or a long run. You, you physically can't gives you time for reflection and usually it's in a positive way because because of your your body's physical activity you know some of the 
some of the greatest stupid ideas I've ever had are when I'm doing a long swim or a long run. <laughs> but at the same time, also healthy for me when I'm, you know, my wife can see that I'm kind of going down a dark place or she's known me long enough. She's like, don't, don't do it. <laughs> Let's change the environment. Let's go for a run or do something like that. So, so fitness and wellness activities are also critically important for that. Yeah. So I'm curious, where do you get your vitamin joy these days? Like, what do you do? You said you run, you swim. <sighs> yeah. Um, the Peloton has been better for my back, <laughs> but uh, so I don't do as many long, long runs, but a lot of Peloton swimming, just strength training. And uh, my wife keeps trying to get me to do yoga with her. So I'm trying to be open-minded about that too. So, <laughs> and then again, just, just other things like healthy sleep patterns, like going to bed at a decent hour, getting up early, um, you know, eating healthy, eating clean, Maybe for some of us in 2020, drinking less. <laughs> Sometimes we have a tendency to self-medicate uh, in an unhealthy way, but there's healthy ways to self-medicate too. <laughs> Brian, it's been a real joy to talk to you. I, do you surf by any chance? Not well, not well. So we Great. should probably you talk about that. You live so close. We should, I mean, we have a couple boards for you. I know, I, have, I really out. have no excuse. I've lived here for 20 years. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, not, I mean, you are from Texas, so we'll give, no. you, we'll give you a hot pass. <laughs> Okay, last question. How do you how do you stay calm? Like, so a lot of the listeners for this show are athletes, and they do action sports, outdoor sports. How do you stay calm when you're scared? Like, I'm terrified of big waves, mm-hmm. and it, it's hard for me to stay calm every time. Yeah, interesting. I think it's just really about making incremental, small choices to address whatever fears we have head on. You know, we all, we all have like fears or things that make us uncomfortable or things that suck that we ultimately need to do. Like, for example, you're passionate about surfing, but you're scared of big waves. Well, kind of like I talk about in the book, the whole, you know, David's philosophy of do something that sucks every day. Well, go face those big waves more often. <laughs> and the more often, I saw your facial expression right there. I was like, no. The more often we, we face those fears, just whether it's in combat or the things that make us uncomfortable in business or our careers or relationships, I could be better at practicing what I preach in this regard too, but you know, the more we're intentional about getting out of our comfort zone, you know, the more that area expands and the things that we used to fear or that used to seem insurmountable become normal. And then you move the goalposts and you do it again. I think it's getting harder because I'm getting older and my body's like, no, you should be making babies and caring for them and not oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. surfing big waves. It's so weird. Like I just, that, no, that, that 100% play. Like, I remember the stupid stuff I used to do skiing. Like, the, <laughs> my, I played rugby for four years, eight concussions. My worst concussion was from skiing, not from rugby. Wow. Because of all the dumb shit I used to try. And now I would, stuff that I would never do now. I'm like, I'm just going to, you know, cruise down and go have a beer. <laughs> I ask all of the guests who come on this show this question. Any advice you can give to listeners on how they can embrace the suck to have more vitamin joy? Yeah, I, I think it's really about being intentional and in how we change the narrative in our minds about what true adversity really is. And that can be done in practice. It can be done in mentorship with others. It can be done in you know, reading and learning and being in a constant state of, of kaizen, which is the Japanese word for continuous improvement, um, reassessing or defining what our core values are and how we can align those core values to drive us to take the actions necessary to achieve goals or improve our relationships or be better parents or just be better stewards for the world in general. And finding other ways to give to causes greater than ourselves will help us live a more, more fulfilling, more meaningful life, whatever definition that is for, for any person. And you know, learning how to plan better, how to execute better, how to have your own personal debrief methodology where we're constantly thinking about, well, 
what went wrong? What could I be doing better? How am I going to continually improve so that I can enhance not just my life, but uh, the, the life of those around me that I care about? I love this. Thank you so much, Brent. I appreciate it. Brent Gleason, thank you so much for coming on this show. You can get Brent's book everywhere books are sold. I'll also link to it in the show notes. Just go to shelbystanger.com forward slash vitamin joy. Personally, I think it's a great gift to give to someone right now. You can get it anywhere books are sold. For more on Brent, go to takingpointleadership.com or his website, brentgleasonspeaker.com. And his last name is spelled G-L-E-E-S-O-N. As for the Vitamin Joy Challenge this week, there's so much Brent offered, but one thing really stuck out, especially this holiday season. And I know it's difficult. We're all in different situations, but give to others. I saw someone leave quarters on meters in Los Angeles, just free quarters for people to be able to pay for parking. There's simple things like that we can do to give others so much more joy in the world. Also, you always get so much more from giving than you ever get from getting. Another thing Brent pointed out that I think is important is take some calculated risks. Lastly, one thing he recommended was to write down your values. And I promise this exercise is a game changer. I did it last week and already I've decided exactly the big goals I'm going after in 2021. Focusing on what my values are allows me to have a more focused compass. And if you sign up for my email newsletter at shelbystanger.com, I'm going to be doing a free course in the upcoming new year on figuring out your goals, where you're going. And one of those steps is writing down your values. And I used to think it was kind of hokey, but in doing the exercise, it totally works. So special thanks again to Brent Gleason and your team for coming on this podcast on short notice. I hope you sell a ton of books. I really appreciate your time. Special thanks to all of you for listening to this show and special thanks to Jennifer McCord for the amazing editing. This podcast is a labor of love, one that's brought me a ton of joy, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. If you get a chance, write a review wherever you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever app you engage with on podcasts. I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season. I hope you spread joy and I hope you take time to dose yourself with your own vitamin joy. We'll see you in a few weeks.